following sermon is by Stephen Hillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Please take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to, uh, to Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. As we continue our series through this book, let us read the Word of the Living God, Philippians chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 12, down to verse number 18. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorium Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from, a mo from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the message that Brian just brought to the children here in the front, that very same message that men and women and boys and girls are born from the day of their birth with a sinful nature so that they cannot get rid of it. No matter how good they are, no matter how much they avoid bad and all that they do, they cannot avoid what they are by nature, and that is sinful against God. For by one man entered into the world, and therefore death passed upon all men. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And for any man and woman and boy and girl that would turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they could have their old sins washed away and have a new life with Jesus Christ. That very message that Brian preached right here to our children is the same reason why in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is in prison. I know that in our country that seems a far distant for you, for you think in the great gospel south that that would never happen. But I tell you that in a day and time in which the entire world is turning away from the gospel, that might be a distinct possibility in the future. The Apostle Paul is in most likely a Mamertine prison in Rome. He is chained to a guard 24 hours a day in four-hour shifts. And what is he doing? He is telling even the guards and the prisoners about the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if you put your trust in Him, you never have to die, but have eternal life. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we look at this passage today? Our Father, we come to You now 
We thank You for Your mercy and kindness and grace. We extol You. We worship You. Lord, our hearts are filled as we think about this simple Gospel message that was just laid before us. Father, I pray that even in my own heart that I just would rejoice. That message is what all of this is about in this church and in our lives, in our city, in our world. We believe that You sent Your Son into the world to die for our wretched, sorry, sinful souls. And that when we finally lay down our weapons and we turn to Jesus and believe in Him, we have new life. And I pray today that from this passage of Scripture, from the Apostle Paul's life, Lord, that You would help us to be more like Your Son, to live more for You this day. For it is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. When we bring our attention to these few verses here, verse 12 to verse number 18, I uh, simply want to draw out a, a few points for you today. But before I get to that first one, let me, let me uh, set it up for you. You'll find here that the Apostle Paul says, Now brothers, this is what I want you to know. What has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. And he's saying here, I have been put in prison all of my circumstances and the very fact that I'm chained to a guard. And by the way, isn't that a great way to get rid of a guard? You just pray and boom. It's gone just like that. I bet the Apostle Paul wished it would have happened that way for him. The Apostle Paul says to his brothers and sisters there at the church of Philippi, he says, look, well, my circumstance is serving for the advancement of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And in these verses, it just simply says that happens in two ways. Lost people are being saved and saved people are being encouraged. And that's what he lays out in this passage before us today. And so today, let me point out to you just three points. Here is the first one from the text today, these verses. First of all, the man. I want you to see something about uh, the Apostle Paul, the man, that he is the freest prisoner in Rome. And you might not think that, and they might not have thought about that. Certainly this man is chained to a guard 24 hours a day. In fact, when he was at prison in another place, I've been actually to Caesarea Philippi and uh, Caesarea by the sea where he was put down about 30 some odd feet down in a hole of darkness and only a couple of hours of light a day. Here he is in this prison. He's chained. And in fact, four times in these seven verses, he calls attention to his imprisonment. And that is the circumstances that he's in. And yet, he is the freest prisoner that was ever in Rome. Why? Because Jesus had set him free from sin and shame and the bondage of this sinful life. What about you? Are you free today? Are you in the bonds of sin and shame and guilt? I want you to see not only his circumstances, but his character. Kenneth Bay was in North Korea in 2013, and he was put in prison for nine months. Do you know why? He's put in prison for espionage. That's what North Korea charged him with. Do you know what he really is? He's a missionary of the Lord Jesus Christ. And nine months, he sat in this prison in North Korea. Do you know what the guards started to say? What is wrong with you? 
Why do you have so much joy? Why do you have so much happiness? You're the one that is in chains. You're the one that is in this prison. And He says back to them, because I've been set free by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, my hands may be in chains. Yes, my feet may be in chains. I may be behind these bars. But in my soul, in my heart, where it really counts, I have been freed by Jesus Christ. And when I die, I shall live with Him for eternity in heaven. And when you die, you shall spend eternity in the darkness and blackness of an eternal judgment without Jesus Christ. Are you free? And you think about your circumstances. Certainly nobody in this room today is in prison. But I would say that in the middle of these circumstances, we can see for ourselves that there are people in this room that are going through major adversity in your life. Through persecution. Through people ostracizing you. Through people speaking about you. There might be all kinds of set of adversity in your life. What is the response in your life to the adversity that you are feeling in your soul today? Do you respond like the Apostle Paul? Or do you respond in a sinful and a wicked and an ungodly nature? I would say that we can learn from the Apostle Paul from the man himself who is free in prison to have the proper and right response to all of life's adversities. What do you see about his response? I would say, first of all, his character is that of being joyful. Look at the end of verse number 18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Do you have a sense of pervasive joy? and excitement no matter what you're facing and what's going on? Are you resting in the truth that no matter what your situation and no matter what kind of adversity you're facing, that God is still on the throne, that God is sovereign and all-powerful, He understands what you're going through, and He will provide. Do you have a joy in your heart even in the midst of sorrow? Have you learned to rejoice even through tears? I was speaking with a pastor this uh, last week. One of the greatest lessons I've learned in the last year and a half is that it is possible for believers to have joy through tears. Do you have joy in your heart today over what the Lord Jesus Christ has done by His Gospel in your heart and for other people? Here's a second response that you might have from the text. Look at what he says. Brothers... I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's Paul's, what's Paul's concern here? Paul's concern is not to get out of prison. It's not to get out of his circumstances. It's not, oh God, relieve me from all of this. His, his idea here is to encourage the other people of God. What he really wants to do is encourage other brothers and sisters. And he wants to say, I'm writing this on your behalf. And some of the people were saying, maybe Paul has died and all of the ministry is gone or Paul's in prison. Nothing can happen. What does the Apostle Paul say? I care about you. I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. In the circumstances that you're in right now, do you have a myoptic, woe is me kind of attitude? Or do you learn that even when life is difficult for you, that you will spend your life encouraging and lifting up other people in the faith. The Bible says, let each esteem others better than himself. 
Let me just give you a, a word of application before we actually move on into that. I want to say to you, if you're in a difficult place right now, learn to serve God. Most people, when they have difficult circumstances, they isolate, they stay away from people, they grow inward instead of outward. And what God wants you to do in the middle of your hardship and your adversity and your problems is love other people. Love Him and love other people. And you'll find that the more you extend love, the more you extend grace, the more you serve other people, God will take care of your own needs. Serve Him, love, love other people, and God will meet the need in the middle of your hardship. Amen? He is rejoicing. He's encouraging. Not only that, He is proclaiming the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ in whatever place He is. I find that there are a lot of guys, and I remember when I was in seminary, they would, uh, they wanted to, they wanted to find a church right away. They wanted to do this. They wanted to be in that position. They wanted this responsibility, and they always wanted to be out front. I was thankful that I had somebody in my life that came and spoke truth, and I had to even be cut to my own soul at times. But to remember that you're to serve God right where you are. Don't always be looking for something better. Don't always be looking for something grander. Don't wait to serve God until you have time and energy and money. Do it now. Serve Him now, right where you are. Jim Elliott, that great missionary who had his life taken from him, he said, wherever you are, be all there. And then in the midst of our adversity, the man and his life, why was it that the Apostle Paul was free? Because he spent time developing a character that loved Jesus and loved other people. Let me give you this and we'll move on today. What you do in the summer times of your life will either pay off or come to hurt you in the winter portions of your life. Now is the time to read the Scripture. Now is the time to develop an ongoing daily prayer life. Now is the time to serve brothers and sisters. Now is the time to share the Gospel with the lost. Now is the time to be faithful to the community of God at your church. Now is the time to be involved in a Sunday school. Now is the time to be involved in a small group. Now is the time to pour into your life the Lord Jesus and His Word and your prayer time. Now is the time to give, not when things go bad, but now, right now in your life. Prepare in the summer, for the winter will come. I can't tell you how many people will come and sit down and I'll counsel with them. And do you know when they turn back to the Lord? Do you know when they desperately seek for God to do something in their life? When they have hit the bottom of the barrel and there's nothing left. Don't be that person. The Apostle Paul didn't find himself chained to a guard 24 hours a day and wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be the Apostle Paul. I'm going to rejoice and sing at night. I'm going to be giving the Gospel to all of these prisoners. That's not the way the Christian life works. If you wait until the time, you'll have no courage to do what you need to do in the moment. Build the life of Christ in you now.
And you'll find that when your time is in prison, you'll be the freest person. Let me give you a second point. It is the message, the message of the unstoppable gospel of the Word of God. Look back down at the text, if you will. It says, brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that the whole praetorium guard and everyone else understands that my imprisonment is for Christ. And many of the brothers having their confidence in the Lord are much more bold to speak the Word of God without fear. What is going on in this text? He says, here is the message. The message that I give to you is the gospel that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He came into the world to die for sins, to be raised on the third day, and whoever puts their faith and trust in Him can have new life right now. Amen? It is the message of the gospel. We must never forget the message is simple, but it is profound. It is easy enough for a child, but it is deep enough for the greatest intellects that have ever lived in the world. The message is none other than Jesus Himself. And it is powerful. Look back down at the text. You see where it says, for the progress, verse number 12 and 13, for the advancement. I want you to know that it's served for the advancement of the gospel or the progress of the gospel. You might have a translation that says the pioneering of the gospel, and that's very helpful. The word there for progress was an old word that meant, uh, if Mike Mason was here today, he, that man can wield a machete like it's nobody's business. It really, the word here means I'm starting a new work that I am hacking away. It is thick. The brush has grown up. I have nowhere to go, but I've pulled out my machete and I am chopping a path for Jesus Christ. That's what the advancement is here. He says, what has happened to me? My imprisonment has served for the advancement of the gospel. How powerful is the gospel that those that are chained to Him are coming to faith in Jesus Christ so much so that when you get to Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 20 that it says many of the household of Caesar have come to faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this. I have to ask my own soul this. Do you believe that the gospel is powerful enough to bring guards to Christ? Now you may say there in your own heart, yes, I believe that. But if you're not sharing it with your neighbor and co-workers and family, how sure are you of the gospel and its power? Not only the gospel is powerful, but it's truthful. You see what he says there? These brothers are becoming much more bold so they may speak the Word of God. Some of you have the Word. Some of you have the Word of God. It's all speaking about the Scripture here. The Word of God fearlessly the gospel is not only powerful, but it is truthful. Truthful. Are we sharing the word of the living God? I was reading this past week about a man named Fran, uh, Fran, let's see what, Fran Danbach, I think was his name. Fran Danbach. And in the 1970s, this guy worked for the Anaconda Steel Factory along the Hudson River. Well, that's a heck of a name for a steel company, isn't it? Anaconda. In the 70s, they were pouring copper into the Hudson River as pollution and garbage. They weren't thinking twice about it. This guy went to his bosses 
and he was a manager position. He went to his boss and said, hey, listen, uh, I don't know that much about ecology, but what I do know is it's probably not good to, you know, put copper into the Hudson River, and all the fishing industry is going to die. This isn't good. And so, like a great, good, capitalistic company, they demoted him. Right. And they told him to shut up. So he left off from doing that, and he now had a lesser managerial experience. He, a couple of years later, he came to him. He said, "Look, this is terrible. This is destroying the. This is not good." And so again, they did something that was wonderful for him, and they demoted him all the way down to a janitor, sweeping floors. But you know what? He had a message, and when they demoted him to his janitor. He spent every day and every night mapping out all of the places of the factory and the plant where they were dumping pollution into the Hudson. And three years later, found an attorney, went and sued the Anaconda Steel Factory for multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he pioneered the way for not only the Anaconda Steel Factory, but all of the other factories along the Hudson River to now have regulations and to stop pollution. And the fishing industry there came back. And when they took him to court, they said, well, how do we know that what you have is right? How do we, how do we know? And they would shut off and they wouldn't let people come in. But this guy brought to court all of his sketches of every place in the factory where he had mapped out and he said, that's where the pollution is. And that's the way and the power of the gospel. We have a message and it is truthful. And the reason why it is truthful is because it has been mapped out for us in God's holy word. This week I've been studying and uh, thinking through this sermon and God just convicted my own heart that I need to be much more of an evangelist. I need to share the gospel more in my own individual life. I don't want to preach to you something that I'm not from the God's Word that I'm not trying to put into my own life. And so I want you to know that I'm working on that. I talk with the Lord, confess that, and I want to try and share the Gospel with unbelievers more. And then the Lord helped me to see that, you know, as the shepherd here in the church, that uh, I, need to, I need to provide some way and some help for all of us here to increase that area in our life that we become the kind of evangelists that share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody that we come into contact with. And now, you know, one of my brothers here in the church, Spencer, I won't call him, but Spencer, he came to me one day and, and really, hurt, it really helped my heart. He said, you know, Pastor, uh, we, we're getting the message that we need to share the gospel. But I think maybe there might be some people in the church that would need some training. Maybe they're a little nervous about how to break that, uh, you know, break those boundaries, how to share that. And so the Lord kind of worked on my heart. And so what we're going to do is next Wednesday or this coming Wednesday night, uh, obviously we're going to do the question and answer night. But uh, in the month of October, on Wednesday nights, I'm going to take those four Wednesday nights and uh, do some teaching and some training about personal evangelism and how to share the gospel and how to help people come to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
and try and equip you a little better. And so if, uh, if you have a, a, a possibility or an opportunity to come, we have dinner, 5.15. I think it goes all the way to 6.15 or so. But uh, at 6.30, from 6.30, one, one hour, we're going to do some training on Wednesday nights. I want to invite you to come be a part of that so that you'll be better equipped. I don't want to just, I don't want you to leave today just saying, man, I need to be more about the message. I need to be a better evangelist if you don't know how to go out of here and know how to do that. And so I have a plan I want to share with you uh, that's adaptable. It's not uh, canned so much as it is just helping you to understand how to share the gospel with unbelievers and put you in a better position to do that. And I ask that you'd pray alongside of me. We have an unstoppable gospel of the Word of God. We need to be the kind of people that are sharing that message with others. Amen? Well, let me give you one last point for today. So we talked about the man and the message, and here's the means. The means. And that is the proclaiming of the gospel and the reflecting of the kingdom. And those of you who uh, are, are, know our church, and you've been members here for a while, you know that the vision of our church is to proclaim the gospel and reflect the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. What's, what's the means? Well, he talks about good preaching in this passage and bad preaching. Uh, look down and see what he says there. He says, um, he says that they would, um, well, let me deal with bad preaching first of all. He says here in this verse, uh, verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Okay? So bad preaching would be preaching that comes from motives of envy and motives of strife. And we were talking on Friday afternoon with our uh, little reading group on, uh, that meets, and somebody was asking me, well, how would there be envy and strife in the ministry? Oh, my dear friends, <laughs> if I could only open up that can of worms and show you, it's all over the place. And some poor uh, preacher is in his town preaching the Word of God, preaching the Gospel, and next thing you know, God raises up another guy in the same town who's preaching the same message, and his ministry takes off, and there's thousands of people everywhere. Don't you think for a moment that there's not envy, there's not strife, there's not hardship going on there? And that is where our hearts must be submitted to God. The means is the preaching of the Word of God, but it must not come from motives out of envy and out of strife. And then look at what he says down there, verse number 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives and their thinking to cause distress to the Apostle Paul. Instead, what is good preaching? Well, I would say this, good preaching is bold preaching. Amen? Good preaching is bold preaching. That the brothers are much more bold. Good preaching is not only bold preaching, but it is bold preaching that has its confidence in Jesus. That's what he says here. We not only need people that will stand and preach and proclaim God's Word out of boldness, but they must be tied to Jesus Christ. And then what is it? A good preaching is that which is tied to the Word of God. Good preaching is always an exposition, an explanation, and an application of God's holy Word. The means is the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. What is the overarching goal of our life? Well, let me just draw you to a close here in verse number 18. Look at what the Apostle says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is Proclaimed. Do you see what he's saying here? I'm in prison. I'm in chains. 
I have all of this adversity in my life, and there are even preachers out here who want my demise. They speak ill of me. All that they're doing is out of strife and vainglory and envy. But if Jesus is preached, I'll rejoice in that. Now you take yourself out of the necessarily the pastor's context, but in your life, right where you are. Do you have that kind of governing, overarching goal of your life? That you could honestly say right now, you know what? i got all these things going on in my life. But the one thing that I'm most interested in is... Is Jesus being lifted up? Is Jesus being lifted up? Is that what dominates your thought life? Is that what dominates your relationships? Or would you say that there are things in your life that take away from the attention of Christ that are petty? and self-serving, and you find yourself distracted and frustrated and pulled off course, I would say to you that the driving force of our life must be the glory of God revealed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go to work tomorrow, will you join me in praying that God would provide you an opportunity to share about Jesus. Some of you work at places where almost everybody around you is a believer. Would you just pray that God would bring somebody into your path at a grocery store or a gas station or at lunch? Would you swallow that energy down and that, that nerves down a little bit and speak to somebody about Jesus? Would you get over the fact that you might be embarrassed or they might say to you, I don't want to hear it, or they might have any number of responses? Would you get rid of and lay down all of those inhibitions and find the one driving goal and overarching issue of your life? You are only on this planet for a short time. What one focus do you want? Yesterday morning, yesterday morning, in the graveyard downtown, in a quiet little corner, not far from where Jimmy V's gravesite is, I laid to rest a 97-year-old lady. And there were three people underneath the tent at the graveside. I was thinking in my life about the difference between those two funerals. Jim Valvano passed away. The funeral was enormous. The pageantry, the people, the speakers, 
Rightfully so, he was a character in many ways. But he brought a championship to NC State and huge stone there. Beautiful area. And when I laid this lady to rest, there were three people under the tent. Not a lot of pomp and circumstance. But I would say to you, what's most important is not what happens to you here on this life, but what is going on and what you are doing in your life for the life to come. Are you storing up treasures in heaven? Are you giving the eternal gospel to people? That when you make your entrance into heaven, He'll greet you with a well done, thou good and faithful servant. Maybe you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. What is the Gospel? The Gospel is how to get into heaven before you get there. Yeah? It's about laying down in your heart, realizing that you're a sinner and realizing that Jesus died for you and He wants to save you from your sin and putting your whole trust and faith in Christ alone. I pray that you'll do that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a minute, we'll stand and sing together just a verse or two. Maybe you're here today and you heard the clear Gospel from Brian. Your sins are as scarlet, but God will make them as white as snow through Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to give you eternal life. Right now in your heart, wherever you are, right now, believe on Jesus. Put your confidence in Him alone. And He will save you. My brothers and my sisters, let us have the right character. Let us remember that we have a Gospel that is greater than everything. And let us be about the Father's business this week. Would you stand with me and sing this song? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.